Welcome to Love Talk, Love Talk for Everyday People. I am your host, Tracy J. Hines, and with me today, I have Leslie Lee and Terry Saleh. Hey, ladies. Hey, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Leslie. Happy Memorial Day. <laughs> yes, happy, happy Memorial, Memorial Day. Day. So, so what's good. going on? I, I was just telling Tracy, I don't know where you are, Terry, but the heavens just opened up, and it is a monsoon. Over here. Yeah, it's been raining crazy. It's just, um, it seems like it's not going to stop ever. Mm-mm. No, it, it's same here. I'm getting the same thing here. So I don't know what next weekend's going to be like, but I'm hoping that the sun will show itself and be divine just for the weekend, you know? Noah's Ark. Yeah. Two by two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was... Helen Tracy Terry, and I know that um, there's a lot going on. It's the Memorial Day weekend. It's raining, and we're having interference. But last night, my husband and I, we were at a 25th wedding anniversary. And it was for some friends that we've known them ever since they got married. And that evening after the party, there was the after party, so we go to the house. And... The ladies, of course, it it was that same old dynamic. The ladies, you know, went one way and the guys went the other way. And I'm like, okay. So I'm in there with the ladies. And I'm like, no, no disrespect to them, but I'm always in the lady conversation. And I get it. We talk about all the stuff that women talk about. So I happened to go outside on the deck where the guys were, men ranging in age from, like, late 50s to as young as, like, late 20s early 30s. So the age range was the whole gamut, right? Mm -hmm. So my husband's out there and he's talking and he, you know, my husband, you know, he's big and he's vocal and he's like, babe, babe, tell me this, da 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 because he likes to hear my version of whatever's going on. Right. I heard the deepest conversation that was going on amongst men. And we, and to me, I think it debunks that whole myth. I never believed it anyway. I think men do bond. I think men talk real talk. But I got to be the fly on the wall. I didn't get dismissed like, okay, go in the house and go with the, with the ladies. They let me talk. They let me share. And it was basically around this young one guy, and I'm not going to name any names. He's 30, and he is pissed with his father. He's pissed, his father, He's pissed. With his father, uh-huh. because right. his biological biological father did not spend any time with him and his brother for whatever reason. This young man lives, let's say, he's in Brooklyn. His father's in Jersey, and all it took is a, a car ride, a train ride. Never, as far as this version of the story, never spent time with this kid. Now he's grown. And these mm-hmm. men from all different walks of life, different perspectives, were sharing their story, trying to encourage him, telling him what he should do, let him know that, you know, you, basically your father, you don't know the reason why. You don't know if it was something between him and your mother. You don't know. So you need right, to reach right. out. You're, you're a man now. So you can reach out to that man, but he did not. He was holding on to that little boy anger and talking like violence, like if he saw his father, he was going to do this, that, and the third. And these men, like we talked, and then I, I was able to put the woman's spin on it and, you know, how, you know, you didn't, your father may not have been there, but you had a village that raised you, and it was the village that gave you the tools and things that made you are to, the success you are today. You're a college graduate. You're, you're an entrepreneur and you're doing these things. It was the village that helped you with that. And maybe that man at that point in your life couldn't do it. However, right, right. you're a man now, so you could go to that man as, an, as a, a strong black man and tell him that you're hurt. It's and have okay a man to let him know that you're hurt. Right, and have that man-to-man conversation. But it was just amazing to see all of these men talk to this young man and give their perspective, like, deep, like, down to, like, the things that hurt them when they were men and the things that their father right, right. do or not do. Or, it was deep. It was good. I, was like, I never doubted, oh. love, that, that men bond. I never doubted. They just don't bond the way women bond. You know, it's a different kind of bonding. 
It's not the I don't same. Know. I think it's I think it's the same. I think when they are in their element and they're comfortable, like for instance, my husband is going on a, a trip with a lot of these guys that were there last night. Right. They're going to Miami in July. And my husband's like, What do you think we talk about when when we're not with ladies? He's like, a lot of discussion goes on. He doesn't give me details because it's personal and that's what they talk about. Right, right. But when they find the right group, it's that same experience. We just all hurt people looking to, you know, and when I say hurt people, I'm talking about anything that in our childhood, in our past that's unresolved shows up in our adulthood. And we're all these people just trying to figure out what that is, and it plays out in our adult life. So I right, think men right. do bond. I really do. I, and and because so I what kind of advice were they giving the guys, Leslie? They were was, saying that it, he needs to go talk to his dad. It ranged the the, the whole. It, it was advice down to maybe you need to let it go. He didn't show up in your life, and if if, if you're done with it, be done with it. They were telling him things like that. Then people were sharing. The relationship, like there was this one guy that had a relationship with his son, and his son did everything wrong, got a scholarship for school. He was doing everything to support this young man, and he messed it up. He was taking the money that his father was sending him, and this this man was sharing him, like, I wish my son was more like you. So it was just all over the place with all different types of things. And, then, you know, men, because they got the testosterone going, and they're talking loud, and everybody's sharing and speaking, and then... You know, just helping him to reason and helping him to talk on a guy level. Like, they even brought up, like, the movie The Godfather and all Mm -hmm. the different sons in The Godfather and who they were and how they presented themselves and they showed up in that movie and how it relates to what you're going to get back as a response based on how you show up. Like, you can't go in aggression with aggression. That whole chat session that you were able to be a part of and see, you know, it's befitting that we're talking about that scenario today because this month is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And that session that those men were going through is some way of trying to keep each other mentally healthy so that they can, you know, plow through the life that they have to live and, and be stable. Well, mm-hmm. I wish I was there. I would have loved to have yeah, been able to. Yeah, I was going to mention well. the same thing, Tracy. So my brother-in-law, his dad left him and his older brother to go be with another woman when he was like nine years old. And mm-hmm. he never got over that. It was just a, a great sense of abandonment because right, right. he was the main breadwinner. And when he left, their standard of living went down significantly. And he went mm-hmm. off and, you know, he was still playing golf and he had his, you know, you know, still had his lifestyle, but his he left, of he life, left right. with nothing, basically. And it took him years. He had to go, you know, to a therapist for years yeah, to of be course. able to even confront his dad with all of the feelings he had of abandonment. Um, so, you know, and that's something that we don't do a lot. We don't go to therapy as a black community. No, we don't. We need to sit down and let somebody else hear all of our stuff. And try to give us a more sound way of of listening to it. I just want to introduce our guest. I I met this man named uh, Jermaine Tolbert, and um, I listened to his story. He reached out to me, and I said, you know, I think this is going to be a wonderful interview. So I just want to give you a little bit of information about him. Um, When we talk about mental health, he is um, a component that helps other people help themselves. You know, he's had some issues. He was a musician, a singer, a songwriter. Um, He lives in Austin, Texas. And um, not long ago, he shared that he walked away from a recording contract with Arthur Grammy award-winning Pharrell Williams. In order, he walked away from that in order to secure his mental faculties after being diagnosed with schizophrenia and depression. And he's here today to talk to us and and, kind of help us understand what he goes through. So, Jermaine, how are you? I'm doing really good. Thanks. How about you guys? We're doing great. Hey, We're doing great. Awesome. Doing great. Glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. 
So um, one of my, my co-hosts, Leslie, was telling us how these gentlemen had gotten together and they were talking and kind of helping each other. And then um, Terry, the other co-host, also joined in about she had a guy that um, her, her father left him. I don't know if you were able to hear that and how all of these things affect our mental faculties and, and, and keeping them in order and have different effects in one way or another. Um, I'm just curious about you. How did you find out that you had uh, schizophrenia? Well, actually, uh, my sister and my brother, they actually took me to the hospital one night, uh, and they admitted me into the ER. And I stayed there in the mental hospital. It was actually Providence Hospital in Southfield, Michigan, uh, for a 10-day period. And that's where I actually got the diagnosis of uh, paranoid schizophrenia and depression. So what led to the visit to the hospital? Did they just wake up one day and say, hey, let's go and see what's going on? Or were there some behaviors that weren't um, understandable? Yeah, I would probably say the latter. Um, on that particular night, I had some experiences, you know, alone by myself, apart from my brother and sister that were just kind of really, really off the wall, if you will, or just kind of definitely out of the quote-unquote normal. Um, and, and so I guess I'll kind of go through that that little story. So I was actually with a friend of mine. We were actually picking up uh, her cousin from work this particular night, Uh and so we went to pick her up from work, and she wasn't quite off the clock just yet. And so we just decided to walk around the store and, you know, check out some things. And I remember uh, my friend, she 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 noticed the microwave that was, was, like, on, like, the third row, the top shelf or whatever, and she asked me to bring it down. And so I remember, you know, picking up the, the microwave, and as I turned around to place it into the basket, actually remember it feeling like something jumped onto and then into my body. And so, like, hmm. at that point, my, my body became completely, like, light. It, it was so light, almost like a feather. Uh, if you can remember a time where you, where you inhaled a helium out of a balloon, it was that feeling, but not necessarily in my head. It was over my complete body. Uh, and I'm not sure if I exhibited any signs that something was wrong to my friend. And, and mind you, like before actually going to the store, I actually smoked marijuana. Uh, and so, you know, that could have had, a, a, you know, a, played a factor in it. Uh, but and then so at this point now, it's like everything is kind of slowed down in slow motion. Like everything is like really, really, really slow. It's almost like I'm, I'm walking in slow motion. Uh, and right. Just, so this. You know, this event happened the same night that your sister said, let's go to the hospital? Right. This was the exact same night that I was admitted. Um, after, okay. after after having the episode or whatnot, our situation happened with my friend. Uh, we get back to her house, uh, and, and it was, this was actually, you know, a bit weird, too. My brother, uh, who, who I don't necessarily talk to on a regular basis at all, he just called me, like, out of the clear blue this particular night. And, he, you know, he asked a question. Like, I, I picked up the phone. He said, hey, Nate, what's up? Hey, are you doing okay? Like, that was it. You know, it, it, it wasn't like, you know, I haven't talked to you in a while. You know, I want to just get to, you know, you know, give me an update. It was, it was just, you know, hey, are you doing okay? Almost as if he just had just experienced that with me at the store. You right. Know, just mm -hmm. before. And I told him, I said, I don't know. And then he said, do you want me to come get you? And I said, yeah. And so at that at that point, I texted the address where I was at, and he and my sister showed up. And we get into the car, and my sister's asking me, she's like, okay, so, you know, Nate, where do you want to go? I'm also, I was known as Nate Calloway. That was my stage name. And all my friends. Oh, Nate Calloway. I was going to say, Jermaine, who is Nate? But Nate Calloway was your stage name. Okay. Yeah, so all my all my family called call me Nate. And so she, she said, hey, okay. Nate, so where do you want to go? And I, she said, you want to go to mom's house? I said, nah. She said, do you want to go to dad's? And I'm like, well, well no. Um, I didn't really tell them, you know, what was going on, but there was something definitely happening. And at that point, I really just began to cry just out of nowhere. You know, like I'm just getting into the car, and then they asked where I want to go. I don't know, and I'm now I'm crying. Uh, and it's kind of uncontrollably, and they're like, what's wrong? And my only response I could give was, I just love God. And to me, that response was saying, y'all will never understand, you know, what's happening right now, that there's no way that you could, and then I don't even believe these two in particular that I'm riding with would even care, you know, to, to know just because of some, you know, backstory with those two individuals uh, in my family. Right. My older sister, she's a nurse, so what I'm assuming is she may have, you know, seen signs and whatnot, and she took it upon herself to, to actually take me to the hospital right then and there. Okay. So, like, before this, this event, were there little events that happened, the little things 
that um, made you think, hmm, that's that's kind of strange. And, and did you talk to any of your friends and ask them if these things happened to you? Or was it just leading up to this event and, and, and boom, that was it? No, there are there are you know little things that I that I noticed by myself, and it, it wasn't uh-huh. anything that that made me you know particularly uh, what do you call it um, just put it, it didn't put me on alert to say okay something could be wrong. I, all I know is I was I was actually smoking marijuana for you know quite a bit of time and on an every single day basis, and my consumption levels were extremely high on that every single day basis, and so to mm. me I just. You know, any type of, you know, situations where, you know, something could kind of, you know, be, you know, perceptibly different than what, you know, I would quote unquote normally, you know, experience. I just attribute it to the marijuana. I'm like, okay, this just must be, you know, I'm tripping, you know, type of situation. And I really didn't look right. too deep into it. And so, you know, maybe it was just a, a culmination of all of that, you know, time, you know, engaging in that activity. And then, you know, just kind of things just kind of built on, you know, built up until, you know, we had that night of actually going in. Okay. So do you know if anybody else in your family um, suffered from schizophrenia or is or were you the first? Yeah, to my, to my knowledge, yeah, I'm the first, yeah. Okay. Okay, interesting. So what happens? You get to the hospital and, and what, how do you explain um, to the doctors? What, what do you say to them to, to get help? I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, I, I honestly didn't know what happened. All I know is, you know, I'm there at the hospital, and uh, I do remember this was actually maybe a couple of days after I was already in. I was able to see a doctor, and I remember him asking me questions. And I remember, you know, those questions, you know, seeming a bit eccentric, but nonetheless, they they actually resonated with me a bit. Um, like he asked questions like, you know, hey, have you had suicidal thoughts or, you know, do you feel that life is, you know, you know, particularly significant or do you feel like you have a place in life? And I remember he asked this one question that, that really kind of hit home. He said, do you ever feel that um, TV or radio, you know, may, you know, somehow be like talking directly to you? And so I remember then, obviously I learned a bit later, it was different, but I remember hearing that question right then and there. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I believe that, you know, he may have understood, you know, that that was, you know, possible. And I remember telling him, like, yeah, uh, I do. I, I didn't really explain to him, but I remember telling him, yeah, like the, the night I was actually admitted in the car with, with that friend when we went to pick up her cousin. I remember feeling as though the, the radio that was in the car that was happening, I actually felt that, you know, the, the brain that could decode what was being said there was a deeper message within it. And so I actually thought that it was communicating with me. And then even right. when we got to the hospital, the TV that was playing in the lobby area, I actually remember feeling that this, yeah, the TV is, I, I can I can hear deeper than what is actually being said, you know, coming out of the TV. I, I felt that my brain was trying to decode the words that were being said, and there was, you know, a deeper message within it. So I said, I told the doctor, yeah, and I'm sure that he probably used that to, you know, determine the diagnosis, uh, I mean, I just kind of put two and two together that maybe that wasn't such a good idea to kind of so candidly, you know, let him know that that's what happened, you know, that he probably... Well, maybe it was a good idea, you know, because um, that's where you got help, you know? Exactly. So, you know, when you think about schizophrenia, at least when I do, I always think about multiple personalities and these different people coming in and out and coming and going within one person. And now that's one level of schizophrenia, but are there other levels of schizophrenia? I have no idea, actually. Um, I don't even know about that level. I just actually read the definition of it, and I know that it is, you know, actually perceiving a reality that isn't necessarily there, you know what I mean, actually picking and choosing, you know, what reality really exists. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I never had, you know, that experience. My experience only came from, like, communication basis. Like, you know, let's just say, you know, we were at the mall, and you hear everybody talk, and you hear all emotion and commotion and just noise. So I would mm-hmm. actually... I would actually hear people speaking to whomever they were speaking to, whether they're on a phone or the person next to them. I would actually take what what other people's voices were saying to somebody else, and my brain would register as if, okay, that person is trying to talk to me. Why why are they trying to communicate with me? Like, I actually thought that they were communicating with me. My brain was associating their words to me. And how long ago was this, can I ask, and your age? 
Yeah, uh, I was let me see, I was probably what twenty six then. So this is maybe five five years ago. Uh five, six years ago. Five years ago. So I just want to read the the dictionary definition of schizophrenia, a long-term mental disorder of a type involving a breakdown in the relationship between thought, emotion, and behavior, leading to a faculty precipitation, uh, inappropriate actions and feelings withdrawals from reality and personal relationships into fantasy and delusion and the sense of mental fragmentation. Okay. So I guess I didn't know what it was. So can you get healed? I don't. I can't speak for no one. I can only speak for myself. I'm definitely, quote unquote, healed. Definitely over the hump. Definitely have overcome this, which is why I actually wrote the book to actually help anybody else who's actually dealing with any mental ailment and let them know that yo, you can actually get through this. You don't have to, you know, stay attached to stigma, stay attached to this diagnosis, or believe, you know, what people are putting over you. You don't. You can remove that. And you can actually do some, you know, measures to actually get over that hot pain and, and see a new life. So, so what kind of what what does the doctor do? You know, what what does he do to help heal you? Or is it only the doctor? You know, you mentioned you said I love God. I mean, is it your religion that helped you? Tell me. I believe so for sure. Uh, that was one of the first things I did after coming out. Was definitely, you know, I got into my word. You know, reading the Bible, did a lot of praying, a lot of meditation. I think that was like, you know, the starting grounds. But I don't think that that actually totally uh, healed me per se. I, I just think that that kind of more so centered me and it made me more aware of my thoughts. If that makes any sense, I was able to to see when I was having a thought that you know I, I wasn't trying to have, and it was like, okay. Now, why, why, why did you have that thought? You know, why are you feeling like this type of situation? But for right, me, right. what totally cured me was actually the influx of new information, the influx of knowledge. And it, it may sound basic, but it's far from it. Uh, you know, you go to Albert Einstein, who says that education is not the uh, learning of facts, but it's only tools for better thinking, tools to, to know how to think are tools for optimal thinking. And that's a very, very deep statement. And so uh, let's say something like uh, the book, uh, The Selfish Gene, which, which goes into how our sperm beat off all other millions of sperm, and now we are here today and we are in existence because of that fact. And so all of my, you know, let's say the depressive thinking that, you know, no, no one loves me or, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm not important, all these negative, you know, depressive things that could get me into a bubble, it really, it really was obliterated by the simple fact of knowing that my sperm beat up every other sperm. And so I had to see it in another way, not even trying to. My brain took the fact and started building its own foundation for a new frame. And it said, okay, wait a minute. If my sperm beat up every other sperm, it decided I was significant. It decided I have a place here on this earth. And there's nothing, even my own thoughts can, can, can dispute it. And so it, it, it so was that's a way. By, by that was a way to help you. I see. Yeah. So now, when the when you when the when the doctor sees you and they diagnose you, do they insist that you take medication, or did you not take medication? Yeah, in the hospital, they gave me uh, medication. They they told me to take it, you know, for like sixty days. And if I felt I needed more to to pre- get more prescription, I actually ended up taking it like the twenty something day. I just didn't want to associate myself uh, with it. I, I I wasn't even you know all the way better. I just knew that. You know, something happened. This hasn't been attached to my life. I never experienced this. I knew that something happened, and I just didn't want to associate myself with that diagnosis or with, with any of that. And so I just I, I took it upon myself to, to figure out what was happening. And it really took me like a five-year span before I actually really got, you know, clarity of mind. That is so amazing that you're able to to do that. You know, I didn't think that anyone could be cured without taking medication for the rest of their life. You know, that that was my understanding. Um, It says that there will be, let's see, over 100,000 new diagnoses of schizophrenia in the U.S. alone. Um, 1.5 million people will be diagnosed, but in the U.S. it will be over 100,000 in this year alone. So mental health is is important. Um, What would you tell someone that was um, suffering the same experience as you? The hospital is the direct route or is there another way you would have done that had you known what you were dealing with? That's, yeah, that's a 
huge question because it's so difficult to know, you know, what you're dealing with. And I believe even on the even on the, the side of the, you know, clinical professionals, how I view it, I see it as everybody on this planet are totally different. You know, like, you know, you can have two people who are quote unquote diagnosed with the same, you know, mental illness. But, you know, they have totally two different effects because they're two different people. And so right. I don't see I don't see how, you know, you can have an entire life and then you sit down with the doctor for, let's say, 15 minutes and they tell you what you are. I just don't think I think that's actually insanity. I don't think that that's possible. Um, and so any, I would I would give whoever has an, have, to, I would give advice to whomever may be dealing with anything up there in their mind where something is a little off is is to, first of all, not kid yourself, you know, be aware of the fact that, you know, something is different and something isn't the way it used to be. And I think it's up to them to decide, you know, going to, I'm not, I'm not saying that going to a medical professional is wrong. If that's what you feel like you need to do, do that. You're the only person that is you. You're the only person that can ever be you. Nobody can wear right. their shoes but you. You got to decide what you need to do. And then if that person does, if another person doesn't feel that they need to go and they want to try something else, hey, try that. If that don't work, hey, try something different. Hey, if that don't work, try something different. Because there's so there's millions of medications that these quote unquote clinical professionals are given have no effect whatsoever, and they're actually getting worse. So yeah. It's, so it's, what it's about um, what about psychology? Did you did you go to a therapist, a psychologist, and, and have conversations and? and work out a game plan? Or did you just take ownership here and decide that your mental health was so important and you read and you just filled your mind? with? So how, did it, how did it work out to get you to where you are today that you can talk about it and not still be in it? It was exactly that. I took total ownership and responsibility, which is difficult for, for many of us to own, you know, your, your circumstances and say whatever happened, it's because I did or did not do something. And I got, it's up to me to fix it. Nobody can fix it for me. And it's so funny that these medications, it's like, you know, we're such a microwave society. We think we could just throw something in the microwave and bing, it's done, we're fixed. And you're wrong. It's more than, it's, it's even more than medication. Like it's something, it's, right. it's, it's a total belief within self. It's a total determination with self. You know, I got to get here. There is no other option, period. Okay, so did you have a support system, your family? You know, when we first started, Leslie was talking about a, a group of men that, that she was able to overhear a conversation this week, and it was sort of like a, a mentoring session between these guys. Do you have a group like that? No, I don't. I, you know, you asked the question, do I have a support system? I believe that I did not have a support system at all. I, I, I was really, like, off in the corner alone to myself, trying to figure it out, head down, you know, just, just full force and trying to figure it out for myself. I, I, I didn't. I wish I could have had a support system. And then, like I said, you know, not, not, not many people, nobody can walk your shoes. So, you know, there's so, only so much support somebody can give you, a pat on the back, hey, I'm caring for you, hey, I'm praying for you, hey, I love you. Yeah, that's all fine and dandy, which I didn't have. But, you know, how much support can, can one have who's no, who, who, when no one else is actually dealing with it? I mean, I mean, obviously, yeah. you talk about the guy who was in the group. Maybe they all had a situation where, you know, they could, you know, talk to somebody who's dealing with, you know, something. That's got to be powerful. Right, right. Uh, again, I didn't have any of that, no. You know, anytime I hear about um, mental health and I think about my mental faculties, you know, I always hear that the black community doesn't seek help. We just kind of deal with whatever beat us up early on or whatever is currently beating us up. And I just kind of wonder, you know, would your scenario, your situation be different or even further along or even more improved or the time that you remained in a state where you still had to work on yourself? Would that have been different, you think, had you gone to a psychologist and had those conversations and, and, and kind of teamed up to try to get you where you wanted to be? Uh, I think that I think a lot has to do with how we were raised and, and what we were taught. You know what I mean? Like if, if you were in, in an environment where, you know, you were encouraged to uh, kind of venture out and to, you know, and things were okay and maybe not, 
you know, I, I believe I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I can't really speak on, you know, the quote unquote entire black community. But for myself, you know, if there was something, you know, wrong, you know, as a kid, it was, oh, you saw, you know, you got, you know, man up type situation. And that was just me. And, you know, that could be a, a lot of people and many people in other races as well. I mean, I, right. I, I believe if you, if, you, if you had an environment where, you know, it was cultivating you to, you know, hey, you know, it's okay to, to cry or it's okay for this. I think those people are probably more, you know, inclined to, to be okay and open with, hey, let me go and, you know, see if I can get some help for this. Whereas the other person who's always been taught, oh, you know, you're soft, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones probably going to bottle up and, and, and hold it in. And that, I think that goes with any race. You mentioned a book you were working on earlier. Tell me about this book that you wrote. Yeah, the name of the book is Remind Me to Think, The Genius Behind Crazy. Uh, and so basically the entire book is uh, obviously directed towards those with mental health disparities, but even broader, uh, it, it's, it's even for the, you know, everyday professional who, who can't really seem to hone in the focus and intentionality mm-hmm. needed to bring into fruition that life, you know, those goals, those aspirations that they see for themselves. It's really just a, a mind opener and a mind shifter, uh, really a paradigm shift uh, to, to, to say, hey, remind me to think. I think so many, so often, you know, we as people, we're, we're living our lives through our subconscious, you know, meaning right. it's not necessarily a conscious thing. We're just kind of on, you know, we're set on autopilot, just doing, 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 doing. And it's like, yo, remind me to think. Remind me to actually slow down and actually see what's that, see what I'm doing. Let me get a game plan. Let me get some, you know, a GPS, which knowledge is, you know, the whole book is directed towards knowledge as well. And let me mm-hmm. actually get my step-by-step format to get from A to B and not just be, uh, you know, sporadically and erratically just going about bumping in the walls and, you know, doing all this just to get somewhere. You can actually take the time, focus, you know, chill out and slow down and see and be self-aware and get to where you're going much easier. Right. Has it been? Go ahead. Go ahead. I have a question. In writing your book, and I'm sorry I haven't chimed in. I was just listening to your story because it is fascinating. In writing your book, where are you um, outside of your own personal experiences? Where are you getting some of your research research from? Like, actually got. I'm sorry. I actually got no. massive research from from mm-hmm. multi multiple psychiatrists. A, a lot of my research in the book is directly from them, and I literally actually just put in the book what they're saying about you know psychiatry as a whole, and then medications as it relates to mental health. So, uh, are you reaching out to any demographic or age, or is it, who who would be your target group of people that you would want to help? Well, obviously, just people dealing with mental disparities in general, all mm-hmm. race, you know, all facets. That that's first and foremost. Um, also, knowing that my background is in music and artistry and creativity, uh, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I'm a millennial. It's definitely directed towards them. And, and it, like I said, that 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 everyday business professional, you know, who who, who needs to focus, who needs mm-hmm. the discipline to to bring about the life that they see for themselves. Because what I was when I. I'm sorry. What I was, um, what I witnessed last night, and talking to a group of men from all different age ranges, somebody in that group may think that they're suffering from something, or is it somebody in that group may think that they just need to just bury their heads and keep plugging away. And when I speak, when I hear like. What your story said and what what you were going through, like, I mean, I don't know your doctors and I don't know, and I'm, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not even just trying to make an assessment, but when you couple, when, you, when you're in an altered state and somebody's trying to diagnose you, doesn't that hurt the whole process or how do they know what they're really treating if you're in an altered state because of the marijuana? Is it something that, like, perhaps it was the effect of the marijuana that put you in that state, or is it really something that you needed to delve deeper into in terms of um, psychiatric health? Yeah, right. I think for me, I definitely think that uh, it was caused. Everything I was dealt with, I, I know for a fact that it was caused due to that. But I, I believe that, you know, the doctors, they can only, you know, really make an assessment based off that point in time, the state that you're in right now, 
that's what I'm seeing, and I'm only going to give you what I've studied to, to see what these quote-unquote symptoms are. And I think that's, 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 that's where his knowledge begins, and that's where it ends. That's why I think it's insanity for a 15-minute conversation to be able to say, this is you. You know, here, here you have a case with me where I believe that, you know, marijuana totally brought the onset of it. And so that 15-minute where you saw me at my worst, that's not who I am, actually. And, and I, the way who I am today is clear evidence of me. That was just a process I had to kind of go through. And I, I had to go to come out of it. I had to go through it. Uh, so so that, that's that's a great question. So, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand, too? You know, you said you were in the hospital for 10 days. So the diagnosis was the day that you entered in the altered state. And then for 10 days, what? What happened during those 10 days? Did they medicate you? Did they did they come with more tests to be sure about their diagnoses? Yeah, no, uh, the diagnosis actually came probably like a couple of days after I was there. I was already, you know, I was there for a couple of days before. You know, what, what I kind of feel like and experience and, and think is, you know, I think, you know, there's like, you know, a few doctors that pretty much probably oversee that whole, you know, system or, you know, so, so maybe one doctor is seeing, you know, multiple and they only have time, you know, for whenever they have time. And so I don't believe he actually had time to see me until, you know, maybe post two days even in, in being there. Um, you know, they, they actually, like I said, they gave me the medication while in there and they first gave me a medication called Risperdal. Uh, and for me, what that thing felt like was it felt like something was suppressing my brain keeping me from, apprehending me from being able to think. And as well, it kept me in like a really sleepy state. Excuse me. Uh, a really, really sleepy state, even if it was like daytime. I just felt like I couldn't think and I felt really sleepy. And so I actually told the nurses that. And they actually, after telling me that, you know, then they actually put me on something called Zyprexa. And to me, which was the exact same drug, just on a much lighter scale. Uh, mm-hmm. So. And, you know, they had different activities. Answer your question, you know, what happened within that 10-day. Uh, they had, you know, different, uh, like, sessions or whatnot or, or classes, if you will. I, I remember watching a video uh, in a class full of people. Uh, I'm calling it a class because, you know, it was kind of set up that way. But it's just really a room with, you know, some people. Um, and, you know, different little, you know, kind of exercises, you know, to, to try kind of get people, I guess, exercising their mind, really. Mm-hmm. I have another question, and and this is I encourage your listeners, Tracy, and our listeners, to like really think things through when they go to seek medical attention. And one of the things that I've learned from being my mother's caretaker, and because like I said, I'm not a medical professional. I don't know. I don't pretend to know that I have any type of expertise in this matter, but I do encourage anyone who's struggling or even if it's just for your regular health, do you have a health advocate, somebody that's going to be there for you that can help you discern some of this information that you're getting? Like you said, you initially went to the hospital and your brother and your sister were there. At what point did they leave you so you are on your own making these decisions in an office state of mind and now you're being administered to by a by a team of physicians, and they're giving you more medication. So who's your advocate to say, um, mm, let's think about this, let's let's talk this through, give me some more information. I'm not sure if this is the road we need to go, or let me get a second opinion. Or I think people should invest more time in building relationships with somebody so that they can have these advocates that can come with them when these diagnoses happen. Even if it's like, like I said, with your health. I mean, you get this diagnosis of something that's very scary, challenging your health. Do you just sit there alone and go through this by yourself? Or do you have people or team of friends that will help you to like think about it differently before you just go to the plan of attack and start treating something? Because I still go back to that whole idea that you were in an altered state. So they got you at that moment when you said you were at your worst and they're treating you for that. However, could it have been something different? Like if you didn't experience that without saying that you did smoke marijuana, then I could say, okay, 
That makes sense. But that whole marijuana thing to me, I think, is huge in this situation because of the fact that you weren't acting in your normal state of mind. You yeah. were in an altered state of mind. Yeah, that, that, sounds like, that sounds like a very, very smart person right there <laughs> because, you know, that that is true. You know what I mean? We, we, I think we see doctor and we see God and we think, okay, whatever he's saying, it must be true. And so we don't know. Nobody's actually thinking around us, you know, that's like, okay, maybe let's hold off and let's actually kind of look a little deeper. It, it, it's not like that. And so that's very, very, that makes it that you make a very, very great point. And, you know, Leslie, I don't think people even think about having a health care proxy until not they a proxy, are. Advocate. A proxy I'm sorry, advocate. Not until yeah. they are sick or or there's some issues. You know, people don't necessarily go out thinking, I'm going to have a health care advocate that's going to help me to, you know, navigate through whatever it is that they're going through. But yeah. um, it's yeah, good it's, advice. I mean, it's important because... Some of those medical decisions, I mean, who among us, we're not doctors. So when they start start trying to treat the symptom, but they don't have the whole picture, right. we need to have that support that says that somebody else is there. Like, I, okay, I'll use myself as an example because that's what I always do. I had some health challenges. I was talking to somebody at work. And this person, she's not my healthcare advocate, but I ran everything by her. She's at her desk. She's Googling. She's like, listen, you might want to look at this, and you might want to ask your doctor to do I probably would not have gone that deep and just started the plan of action that they were suggesting without asking any further questions. So that's when I'm, like, my eyes are starting to open to you just can't just not ask questions and let things start happening to you because if they're treating you for that, that schizophrenia, are you really schizophrenic or was it something different and that's what they saw and that's what they started treating? Right. Well, he said he was there for 10 days, so I think – go ahead. I'm sorry, Jermaine. What were you going to say? Well, I was just kind of – I was going to actually open up the, the conversation a bit broader just because, you know, the, the young lady brought up that topic and it kind of given away a bit of my book, but I think it's very, very – powerful and it's very relevant. So uh, I did some study on a particular psychiatrist. Uh, his name is Dr. Peter Bregan. He's out of Ithaca, New York. Uh, he's in private practice. Uh, and so he's, he, he actually wrote, wrote, he actually wrote a book um, and it's basically debunking or, or pretty much bringing to forefront all of the, uh, the detriments of what these medications are actually doing to patients. Uh, and so not only after, you know, doing research on him, I just researched so many other psychiatrists who all are saying the same thing. And so uh, here, here's something from a Dr. Grace Jackson. Uh, they actually say that there is no rational science behind what they think is the cause of these symptoms. They said the right. medications that are being given to people are without exception introducing chemicals that are altering the brains in negative ways. And so, you know, we hear this term, uh, uh, what is it, chemical imbalance. And, you know, they, they actually told us how that term actually came to be and why we all say it. And we say it with such, you know, exuberance, you know, today. So, you know, back when Prozac, I don't know if you guys remember that drug, Prozac, it was like, like the 70s or something like that. When, when Prozac first came out, first of all, the FDA had not approved this drug. And so the, the company, Eli Lilly, who's the largest manufacturer of uh, medications, of psych psychiatric medications, they sent out their representatives and consultants out into the public, into the you know, media, and started saying, hey, you know, because uh, Prozac was supposed to treat depression. Now, that's what it was for. And it, it, this, right. this, was, this was the PR claim for it. Like, this was the marketing. Hey, you've got, you know, you got this, you're depressed. And you have a you have a chemical imbalance, and Prozac is going to fix it. So chemical imbalance was never anything scientific at all. It was something in the marketing to to actually market Prozac, and now we all say it so comfortably, and, and it's it's really really crazy because all these doctors I, I researched, they said there is no such thing as a chemical imbalance. It does not exist. There is no scientific proof at all for it, and the only thing that actually is causing chemical imbalances in people are the medications that they are putting people on. Because in fact, well, it's every just time like with Chris medication. It's putting a chemical, and it's actually actually offsetting your brain, and it's causing the chemical imbalance. This is what doctors say, experts. It's just like what Chris Rock, the comedian, said. 
There's no money in the cure. The money is in the medication. Exactly. So, of course, Eli Lilly and everybody else that's, that's pumping medication into our system is going to come up with all, you've seen the commercials, it comes up with all these things that it can cure, but then it has for every cure, everything that it can cure is to your detriment if you take these pills. So that's what I'm saying. We have to be more, like, aware of what we're doing to ourselves because of the fact that the, 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 the pharmaceutical companies are out to win. They're yeah. out to over-medicate us. They're out to make that profit. I mean, if you're smart and you have money, you need to invest in pharmaceutical companies because they're, they're turning a profit. But for us, the regular citizen, we have to be more astute to what's going on and not Absolutely. just be, not be ready to just pop that pill because the doctor said so. Yeah, I, I think you, you do need to take responsibility for your, your health and do all of the things that we spoke about. But I want to ask you a question about um, music. Um, did that help in to bring you to a place where you are today where you can say, I am recovered? Did, did that help you, and how did it help you? I will say, you know, very little. I do remember, and, you know, just being honest, based on, you know, you asking me this question, I do remember there was a point or period where I was actually going through that, and I was definitely struggling, you know, just being self-aware and honest. I was definitely struggling. I remember actually putting in a CD. It was actually a Chris Tomlin CD, and I do remember listening to that CD over and over, and I actually do honestly remember feeling so much better and feeling like a weight lifted. I can only say that that, that would be the only time or only experience where I felt that music was a, a partaker in that entire event or experience. Other than that, you know, your, uh, music kind of, you know, I didn't even look to it at all. But, but that was a moment where I actually felt uh, lifted based off of that. So the, what happened to the musician in you? Did that just go away? I know when you said initially Pharrell, uh, you were getting ready to go into a contract or a song with Pharrell Williams and someone else in your group, and then you let that go to seek medical yeah. attention. So what yeah, happened this, to the musician yeah. in you? Yeah, this was all right in the mid signing a lucrative contract with Oscar and Grammy Award winner Pharrell, exactly. Um, after After coming out of the hospital, uh, I actually felt, I actually felt, you know, God led me away from music. Um, first of all, my mind was not copacetic at all to handle, you know, everything that was involved with what was actually coming. Uh, so, so this was actually on like a Monday. Uh, I probably just gotten out of the hospital the week prior, um, and so. Uh, actually, uh, my, my group member is J. Drew Sheard, who's actually the son of Karen Clark Sheard from the gospel group Clark Sisters, uh, who Jay-Z mm-hmm. actually sampled one of their songs on his latest album, 444. Me and my other group member, John Houston, they called me. They're going crazy. They're like, oh, my God, you know, Nate, it's happening. We're about to take off. We're, we're, we're about to really, really do it now. And I'm like, well, what's going on? He's like, Pharrell is about to send us to Miami. We're about to meet with him. He and Andre Harrell, you know, get things together for the signing and everything like that. So they called on Monday. The flight was supposed to leave on that Thursday. And, and literally – during that conversation, I literally told them that I couldn't get on the plane. I had to, you know, get myself in order. I felt God was, you know, leading me elsewhere. And that was my decision to step away literally right at the brink, you know, of the, the, the signing. Um, it was just mm-hmm. a decision that I had to make for myself. Wow. But, you know, to answer the question, music is, is definitely not dead in me. Um, I'm living, you know, and doing music every single day. Uh, it's just that, you know, um, I'm, I think the music, like once I publicate the book, you know, because that's that's where my center of attention is at right now. But afterwards, I will get back into the music, but it won't be, you know, I don't believe it's going to be the music that I was uh, doing. I think it's going to be vastly different, and 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 in fact, it's going to be inspirational. It's going to be uplifting. It's going to be impactful and empowering. That's the type of music that, that I will create. It's going to, you know, be reflective of the grace I was afforded to step out on the other side of such a, you know, horrific experience. Mhm. Do you still smoke marijuana? No, no. Just checking, just checking. So when does the book get released? When when do we get to read that? Uh, hopefully this year. Uh, I have a fundraiser going for the actual publication. Uh, it's totally completed. It's in manuscript form. The name of the, like I said, the book is Remind Me to Think the Genius Behind Crazy. 
the name of the fundraiser is called Project Genius of a Schizophrenic. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for $9,000 total so that I could actually launch and market this book uh, in its greatest capacity so that people who actually need these insights and this information can actually get the book. Uh, and if you reach those hands that it's supposed to, then what I'm doing is whomever donates, whether it be a penny or a dollar, uh, I'll send the original copyrighted manuscript of the book, and they can be amongst the first to actually read and check it out. And I'll leave space and opportunity uh, just to kind of keep that dialogue and conversation going. You know, they can email me, hey, I like this part about the book. I, I didn't like this part. Hey, have you considered, you know, this? And so maybe by the time it actually reaches publication, you know, some of the, you know, content could have changed based on the feedback that I've gotten from those donors and readers. And where do they go, Paige? I'm sorry, I'm here. Hi, it's Terry. Do you have a GoFundMe page? I do, uh, yes. Uh, it's GoFundMe slash genius of a schizophrenic. Okay. 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 Well, we're really so proud of you. At least I am. I'm, I'm proud I that you had the courage to tell your story. I know a lot of people probably do suffer from the same symptoms or the same uh, disorders, and they don't have the courage to tell their story. But I think it will be very helpful for people, um, especially in our community, that don't reach out to therapists that, you know, think the only way to get cured is through prayer. You know, obviously prayer works, but I think sometimes you need the help of um, a psychologist or a therapist just to help you sort through things. So I'm just proud of you for offering that information because I think it will help people. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. The book is definitely inspiring, and it is powerful, and it's packed with, you know, it's true research, like I said, not from me, total from experts. Uh, it's a really, 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 really in-depth book, really. And I, I kind of like your journey. You know, most people in our community don't seek medical medical attention for health, uh, mental health, but you didn't only listen to the doctors. You took it upon yourself and did your own research to try to understand for yourself what you needed to do to, to heal. And, and, and that's good. That's good for people to do. Because like you said, we said earlier, you can't just take what the doctor says after a meeting of 15 minutes and say, hey, this is it. This is what my life is forever. So, yes, I'm very proud that you spoke out and you chose Love Talk to come and talk to us about it. What other projects do you have going on, Jermaine? Oh, really, that's it right now. Like I said, full attention on book the book and getting it into publication and then definitely uh, head first into music for sure. And then hopefully, you know, start on my second book. Okay. Okay. Well, you're welcome to come back anytime. I'm interested in your project. And tell us again, so just in case anybody missed it, how do they get to your GoFundMe page so they can help you get this book out? Yeah, they can go to www.gofundme slash geniusofaschizophrenic. Any other ways to get in touch? Are you on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Jermaine underscore Tobert, Twitter at J underscore underscore Tobert, and Facebook at Jermaine Tobert News. And how do you spell Tobert? T-O-L-B-E-R-T. All right. Again, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. It's been a pleasure. Any last words from anybody? Oh, I'll just, again, I just want to appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, this is such a wonderful opportunity. And those listening, make sure you guys stay plugged in and, and, and checking in on these two individuals because they're doing some awesome things. Thank you. Yeah, I just say thank you. Thank you for having the courage to share your story. Absolutely. And I also appreciate that the fact that you uh, felt comfortable to share your story as well. Absolutely. All right, this is Love Talk, Love Talk for Everyday People. Thank you for listening, and good night.